Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to Strange Familiars. If you've had an encounter with the paranormal, or if you know of a story you think we should cover, you can email us, strangefamiliarspodcast at gmail.com. How are you doing tonight, Allison? I'm well. I'm kind of excited about this episode because I would like to announce that after a long battle of basically attrition on the part of the paranormal, I think I'm in. <laughs> you think you're in? Oh, because of what happened Because here. of what happened during this research, like... So it was a very strange, familiar <laughs> thing. The story took a very strange, familiar turn. We'll just put it that way. Partly just because of procrastination, because we were ready to do this episode on Sunday or Monday. And I was like, I'm too tired. I don't feel prepared. Just give me another day to get some more notes together. And then this whole other weird aspect added. Yeah. Tonight's story started with tonight's photo of the week. I got this card, and it had this person's name on it. Mm -hmm. So I did a quick search, as I'm wont to do, mm -hmm. and sure enough, it turned up in a pretty incredible story. It's a story that we wanted to start with, the old adage. We all heard it when we were kids. Mm -hmm. Don't take candy from strangers. No, I thought this was just general common sense, right, that your parents said, and mm -hmm. it's something that somebody's parents said to them, and but it turns out this this phrase has a kind of origin. Yeah, I thought in my mind I kind of um added it to like the great seventies and eighties trick or treat, you know, candy apples with razor blades kind of mm -hmm. phenomenon. So in my mind, candy from strangers was just bad generally. Right. Except on Halloween. Except for on Halloween <laughs> when it's totally fine. And in the same way it's like, don't sit on old men's laps except for at Christmas time, you know? <laughs> right. Holidays seem to be exempt from basic <laughs> social mores. <laughs> don't, don't sit on old man's lap unless he's wearing a funny costume. Then climb right <laughs> then up. Climb right up, yeah. Then it's, he'll give you gifts. <laughs> but some other kind of missing children lore comes from this as well, including the sort of trope of milk carton kids. Now, not exactly. Mm -hmm. But there's a precedent before what we commonly think of as the first kid on a milk carton, which we've looked up this pronunciation both ways. I think it's Aiden Pates. I think it's Aiden Pates, yeah. Um, but he's the kid that a, a lot of people, particularly our age, knew as the the missing kid on the on the milk carton. And, and all, is often considered like the first milk carton kid, mm -hmm. you know, not to trivialize, yeah, um, trivialize that suffering. But So what are the origins? 
And who was this guy I found on the card? So the card I found, and we'll talk about this again for Photo of the Week, but you know my love for hermits. Right? Yes, I do. It bleeds over a little bit into hobos. Yeah, your tramps, scamps, hobos. Because often people confuse one for another. Mm-hmm. I think I've heard before that there is an actual distinction between... There each, is. We've gone uh, over this yes. before. <laughs> I feel like we're back on the, like... <laughs> to, to see one of our other episodes, I forget which one, to, for the distinction. This is an early 1900s card. Mm-hmm. And it shows a, you know, your typical kind of tramp. I mean, he's on a pen line train, mm-hmm. you know. I think this is in Canada. And it just said, The Lost Charlie Ross. So here I had a name. Say, like, oh, I'm going to look this up. I got a name, Charlie Ross. Well, this probably most likely wasn't Charlie Ross. And in mm-hmm. fact, we'll, we'll go over why he may have been called that. But there was a real Charlie Ross. There was. And who was he? He was a little boy that was stolen from his front yard in Germantown, Pennsylvania, which is just outside of Philadelphia. In 1874, is that right? Yeah. He was born in 1870. This is commonly thought of as the first kidnapping for ransom. In the United United States. States. Now, when I was in school, Mm -hmm. I had a social studies teacher Mm -hmm. that told me Lindbergh was the first case of that. Well, he was wrong. I know. I just (laughs) if you're listening out there, (laughs) and you're 117, (laughs) (laughs) you were wrong. It was Charlie Ross. Charlie Ross. So here we have a Pennsylvania story. It's a story of a missing kid, and it it immediately reminded me of. The Mysterious Disappearance at Seven Devils, which was the only patron show we made in everyone's show. Right at the beginning of the COVID lockdown, we wanted to give people more content, and we made that an everyone show. So everyone potentially had the chance to hear it. And that was about a little kid that was taken or went missing, and mm-hmm. these other people that were showing up claiming to be him. Even to the point in that story where one person of a very dubious origin becomes part of the family, even though they are probably not the missing child. Right. Charlie Ross, he's in Germantown, Pennsylvania. His father's a pretty, seemingly from the outset, a pretty wealthy um, merchant in downtown Philadelphia. He has a grocery store. He's involved in, in business. They live in, a, by any stretch of the imagination, a huge house. They have servants. And he's left alone with his brother to play in the front yard. And for several days in a row... Two men stop by and talk to them and give them candy. Don't take candy from strangers. Yeah, don't take candy from strangers because on the third day, and this is approaching July 4th, they tell them that they're going to take them into the city, buy them some firecrackers, go for a ride, and come back home. So they both willingly, because they've learned to trust these people over the course of a few days, climb into the back of the buggy and head off to the get some fireworks. What happens, though, is after a while... They stop to get some fireworks. His older brother goes in and gets them. And when he comes out, the buggy's gone. And it's a few days before he's returned home by a good Samaritan who sees him wandering around. The, the older brother. The older brothers. But his little brother, Charlie Brewster Ross, is gone. Now, his father, because he works in the store, he puts his son's face on bottles. Yeah, like a precursor to a milk carton kid. And these are like uh, in the glass, so it's not even on the label. They're actually formed mm. in the glass. Yeah, and the one I saw is sort of like almost like a perfume bottle size. Like, really, you could hold it in the palm of your hand. It's not a humongous bottle, but it has this boy with these you know, long curls like he had at the time. So his wealthy parents were not as wealthy as they appeared from the outside, even though they had servants and everything. He had gotten caught up in... I think the previous year there was a huge economic downturn, which actually put him in a fair amount of debt, which would be unbeknownst to someone from the outside who just saw this huge house, knew they had servants, who apparently were not watching them very well. The fact that a four-year-old and a six-year-old were so unaccounted for for so long, I mean, I guess that's part of... It's a different time. we, We talked about this before, where, I mean, even when we were little, I would leave the house in the morning... Sometimes before my parents even woke up, I'd head off to the woods. I'd pack myself lunch. I'd spend all day in the woods. They wouldn't see me again till dinner. I'd come in around dinner time. It was par for the course. It's just what I did. I mean, I cannot imagine that with our own children. I know. That like, be... when they were little? Yeah. Like, oof. And the assumption was that you were okay. Yeah. And for most of the time, kids are okay. Yeah. I mean. Except for when they aren't. I had a very protective dog with me, I think. 
they you know they maybe knew that and and who you knows? were the sixth kid and oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, was, there was five others. So, so the first of multiple articles we'll be reading. This is from July sixth, eighteen seventy four. This isn't long after he was taken. No, I think is it the first that he goes missing because they were you know preparing for um, the July fourth holiday. That was the rationale for getting the kids away from their parents. So this is from the Philadelphia Inquirer, which is probably the local paper to them. A mystery. On Wednesday last, Charlie Brewster Ross, age four years, and his brother, age six, sons of Christian K. Ross, were playing in a lane near the rear of their residence, Germantown, when a wagon containing two men drove up, and at their invitation, the children got in for the purpose of taking a ride. The vehicle was driven off, and the oldest boy was found the same evening at Palmer and Richmond Streets, 19th Ward, where he had been put out of the carriage, but Charlie, the youngest, is still missing. The former states that he had been given some money by one of the men to buy shooting crackers. I guess that's firecrackers. Mm -hmm. And that he started for a store for that purpose. But when he returned, the carriage and his little brother were missing. The parents of the child are almost distracted about him and have offered a reward for his return. No motive can be assigned for the carrying away of the little one. And at the present time, the whole affair is wrapped in mystery. Little Charlie was dressed in a brown linen suit with a short skirt a broad-brimmed, unbleached Panama hat with black ribbon and lace shoes and blue and white striped stockings. He has long flaxen curly hair, hazel eyes, clear skin, round full face, is well-formed and without any marks except those made by vaccination on the arm. So that would have been kind of the, the first public notification. Yeah, then there also made quite a few um, CDV-sized photos of him, which you can still find. Not easily, but you can still find them. But his picture starts to uh, grace the cover of sheet music and attracts the attention of many famous people, including P.T. Barnum, who puts up a potential reward in exchange for when little Charlie's found his going on tour. With Barnum. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Barnum really was. He is the quintessential American, just the like exploiting everything with a capitalist angle, even altruism framed through the lens of just absolute selfishness. <laughs> yeah. What do I get out of my altruism? What do I get out of this? We do have some idea who the kidnappers are. Yeah, pretty conclusively. So there's this huge campaigns launched. His father starts to receive, maybe two or three days after he's gone, he receives the first of 23 ransom letters. There's 23 of them? Yes. Wow. The odd aside to that is they end up in the basement of a house in Germantown that someone just found within the last 15 years. That's amazing. You told me about that. that yeah. So they actually have the ransom notes. They sold them at auction, but they yes. They sold them at auction. Wow. Can you imagine? Yeah. They thought they were love letters. They were tied up in a string. And when they got them out, the daughter of the person that had found them said, these are ransom letters. What? And they were written in these sort of like broken, sort of de possibly deliberately broken English. Or yeah, I've seen some of them. They used odd phrasing. and Yeah, odd yeah. phrasing. And, you know, I think that this becomes one of the sort of tropes of the kidnapping for ransom, too, is that the people that are involved are somehow ill-equipped you know, Ill or they, they're not playing with a full deck or whatever, you know. We kind of know who these kidnappers are. Well, for for one thing, that the older brother gave a description of the two, and the one had a very distinctive mark in that he had what he called a a pig nose or a pug nose. It was described several ways, but they think what it is, and it, and it matches the kidnappers we'll talk about, is that he either had syphilis or skin cancer that had eaten away part of his nose. Mm. And so it looked very unusual. That was a very distinctive thing that the boy was able to remember. We've been watching the Nick, so... Yeah, we've been watching... <laughs> I'm, I'm familiar with this condition. Yeah, like he could just have his arm attached to his nose. And, and these same two fellows are involved in a robbery. Bay Ridge, Long Island. Just five months after the kidnapping. The robbery happens December 14th, 1874. It's an attempted robbery mm -hmm. of J. Holmes Van Brunt. Bay Ridge, Long Island, like I said. Both of them are shot during this robbery? They're both shot. The guy named alternately Mosher, Mosher, I've seen several different spellings. He's killed pretty much instantly. So there's it's William Mosher and Joseph Douglas. Joseph Douglas are the two men. Joseph Douglas, while he's lying there, shot and presumably dying, knows the gig is up. And I guess trying to alleviate his conscience before he goes says, we're the ones that took Charlie Ross. I don't know where he is ask Mosher, and then he passes away. And Mosher's already dead. Mosher's already dead. So they know who took him, but they don't know if he's still alive. Where he is. Where he is. 
His father met at several different instances with some amount of money to try to get the boy back, but they never showed up. We have also from the Philadelphia Inquirer, actually one of the rewards. This is an ad taken out by his father. $5,000 reward. $5,000 will be paid for the return within 10 days from this date to any one of the addresses named below of my son, Charles Brewster Ross. Age four years and seven months, who was taken from Germantown on July 1st, 1874. Being entirely satisfied that his abductors were killed at Bay Ridge, Long Island, on the 14th, I now offer the above sum for his return, or for information which shall lead thereto, promising to ask no questions. The boy may be delivered to any one of the following addresses, and he lists several addresses of different people, or to my residence, where information may also be sent, Christian K. Ross, and he gives his address again. The house isn't there. It was Washington Lane in Germantown. You can still see postcards of it. Amazing house. And that's the 23rd of December, 1874. He couldn't come up with the $20,000 that they had been requesting. They had asked. So for decades, constantly, there are sightings of Charlie. Everyone sees him. Who's this William Westerwelt guy? He's actually the brother-in-law of one of the abductors. He's an ex-cop, and I guess in lieu of having someone to pin this on, because of his association and the fact that he knew some events, but probably not all, and he didn't, he always claimed he had no idea where Charlie Ross was, he becomes basically the person that they persecute for this, and he spends seven years in jail for his involvement in it. Oh, just for his connection to it. Yeah. But he doesn't turn up Charlie Ross, he says he doesn't have any information. No, and even the the wife of Joseph Douglas, um, she talks about how Mrs. Ross comes to visit her and cries and asks where where the little boy is. Yeah, that's brutal. And nobody seems to know where he is. I mean, my assumption would be if nobody knows where he is, maybe he isn't anywhere. But there are other Charlies, let's say. Yeah, there are. Now, here's the thing that's interesting about children that are kidnapped at such a young age is that if they're all of a sudden incorporated into another family dynamic, those early events especially might become particularly hazy. Mm -hmm. If he's all of a sudden called a different name, he might not remember his name. He might not remember the details of what his life was like before And so lots of people who either had something to gain from being Charlie Ross or who had that blank spot in their own past sort of offer themselves up as Charlie. This was such a thing that I found people claiming to be Charlie Ross on into the 1940s. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point we're going... And he was such a popular case that when um, Lindbergh's son is missing... They put the, the posters up at the same time, but at this point, Charlie would have been in, I think, his 50s. Wow. So let me read some of these articles about these other Charlie Rosses. Lost Charlie Ross. He's found again, and this time in Toronto. <laughs> A Canadian paper cutter, now thought to be long-lost lad, going to Philadelphia to be identified. This is from the Chattanooga Daily Times, Chattanooga, Tennessee, the 12th of March, 1893. So this is... Like almost 20 years later? Yeah, nearly 20 years after he's gone. Toronto, Ontario, March 11th. The mystery of the long-lost Charlie Ross, who was abducted from the residence of his father, Christian K. Ross of Philadelphia, July 1st, 1874, may be near a solution. And there seems to be a strong reason to believe that a young Toronto man, known as Samuel C. Cousins, paper cutter by trade, who works in this city, is the missing lad. Cousins is a decided blonde and looks about 25 years old. He says he remembers distinctly being kidnapped. The man who stole him, he says, had ginger-colored whiskers. The next thing he remembers is being in France. He recollects having been baptized in the cathedral at Limoges. When Cousins was in France, he was shown two boys, older than himself, who were said to be his brothers. When he was almost 11 years old, the family removed to England, and when within 15 miles of his father's English residence, he was intentionally lost. A short time since, Cousins became acquainted with George J. Stevenson, a lawyer, who was so much impressed with the coincidence between Cousins' story and the kidnapping of Charlie Ross that he communicated with Christian K. Ross, and the young man left tonight for Philadelphia to see if his identity can be established. And by this time, uh, some members of Charlie's family have already been deceased, and his older brother carries us on with a sort of like resignation. There's this constant trotting out of people who claim to be his brother for decades. Wow. 
This idea that he's just everywhere, everyone's seeing this kid, reminds me of the story, the Cecil Britton story, in that remember how there was a, a guy who was sort of like an amateur sleuth? Yes. Who had spent years and years and years, and then shockingly, Cecil was working with him at a grocery store. <laughs> it was like. He found him after all. He found him. So this is another Charlie Ross. This is from the Daily Herald, Arlington Heights, Illinois, 16th of April, 1909. Charlie Ross is found. Mother of long lost son thinks W.G. Eister may be her boy. That Mrs. Christian K. Ross, mother of the long lost Charlie Ross, was interested herself in the case of William G. Eister, and that she believes that he may be her son is the assertion made in Pittsburgh by Eister, who is a railroad brakeman living at McKee's Rocks. Eister sometimes since made the remark that he believed himself to be the long-lost Charlie Ross who was kidnapped in 1874 and later said that for several weeks a man sent by Mrs. Ross has been conferring with him daily to assist in establishing definitely his identity. This becomes so common that in the newspaper at one point they say no more free joy rides basically for potential Charlie Ross. Oh. Like people just want a, a day trip to Philadelphia on poor Mr. Ross's dime. There were a lot of these. I just picked a, a few to kind of s to show how many there were. I, I just, yeah, and I, this doesn't even... We have more to say along these lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is from 1944. This is one I, I was talking about from the 40s. This is from the Greenville Daily Advocate, Greenville, Ohio, 26th of January, 1944. So at this point, he's been gone for 70 years? Don't make me do the math, but yes. 70 years. <laughs> yeah. New York, January 26th. Passing of a man in Arizona recently whose sole claim to fame was that a court had recognized his claim that he was lost Charlie Ross should have revived that most famous of all kidnapping stories, the abduction of Charlie Ross of Germantown, Pennsylvania, half a century or so ago. I've been watching the magazine sections of the Sunday papers but haven't found it. A real up-to-date roundup on the story should be good reading matter. In New York a few years ago, two men were shot while committing a robbery. One of them, dying, confessed that he was one of the men who kidnapped Charlie Ross. The story achieved little publicity. The claim of the Arizona man attracted attention only because it was recognized by a court. The judge who entered the judgment knew nothing of the Ross case, and the so-called recognition meant nothing. The plaintiff, probably seeking nothing but notoriety, sued the Ross estate in Philadelphia, setting up the story that he was lost Charlie Ross. The estate, according to its custom, did not bother to file an answer, as the suit meant nothing and could recover nothing. The court, in absence of defense, could do nothing but enter judgment for the plaintiff, which was interpreted by the publicity-seeking fellow as official recognition of his claim. When I was a boy, it was not unusual for a hired man to claim that he was lost Charlie Ross. We had one hired man who not only asserted this claim, but also said that he was the sole survivor of the Mountain Meadow Massacre and that he had been a senator, a captain in the army, and a physician. We boys addressed him as Senator Captain Dr. Smith. So this particular fellow, this sort of last lost Charlie Ross. Is this Gustav? Uh, they don't name him here, but I believe it's, it's the one who, who said his family actually had DNA testing done. Yeah, not only was he not Charlie Ross, he wasn't even the person he was purporting to be before he pretended to be Charlie <laughs> Ross. <laughs> DNA has brought a lot to light. It really has. Yeah. And so this is 1940s. People are still talking about this case. Yeah, because there's not going to be that many people who really remember it happening at the time. They would have, if he went missing 70 years ago, the people that remember it would have to be in their 80s and 90s. So that little note at the bottom, it says it was unusual for hired men to just claim they were lost Charlie Ross. I think that's what's going on with that original card I got. Yeah, it, he becomes like a, his own sort of figure. Yeah, he's kind of a, like a You're folklore figure. You're a long-lost Charlie Ross. Yeah, yeah, and, and different people claim to be him and so forth. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. So as these things go, this is about where um we were going to add some other details and, and kind of wrap up the story, wrap up the story. potentially have another angle. And I went to go search for some articles I thought I had found before and printed out, but I hadn't. So I don't know if I just happened to type it in a different way or whatever. And then all of a sudden, Charlie Ross is basically in our backyard. The story takes the strange familiar's twist. You found these articles just yesterday. Yeah, and I ha- we hadn't we've been looking at this for like I've been looking at this for like two weeks. Yeah, I got the card a, a little while ago, and, and I've been spending a lot of time doing research about it, and for some reason had not run into any of these articles previously. And then all of a sudden, we take an extra day, and then I say to you, "Oh yeah, by the way, Charlie Ross might have been like, you know, in our county, in our town, in our town." <laughs> One of these lost Charlie Rosses. <laughs> the fact that there's Many of them, it's very interesting. Yeah, there might be a different plural for that. <laughs> Lived in our town. For a brief moment, we thought possibly he could have even been in our house. It's not the case. We found that's not the case. But he lived in our town. Yeah. What are the chances? The first article said something about what, the York County Hills? Yeah. And then, sure enough. He's pretty close by. All right. And this is pretty quickly after the case. This isn't in the 1940s. This is 1877. Yeah, so Charlie's only been gone three years at this point. (laughs) The article's entitled Almost Certain from the York Dispatch, 27th of April, 1877. Charlie Ross at last found in the hills of York County. After the long anguish of years, it is almost certain that Charlie Ross has at last been found. This noon, an honest old farmer named Jonathan Neff, who lives within one mile of the Peach Bottom Railroad, came to town went at once to the telegraph office and telegraphed Christian K. Ross that he had found his boy and without a doubt had him in his possession when the following telegraphic conversation ensued. Question from Mr. Ross. Can you describe the boy? Answer. The boy said he was carried off, but don't know his name or parents. The description is that of Charlie Ross. Has he any marks on his person? Mr. Ross asks. We did not examine him, but I have reasons to know it is Charlie. Why do you think it is Charlie? From a half a dozen reasons. Well, why do you not give me more distinct answers? I cannot, until I see you, come up at my expense. If it is not your boy, I will pay all. At this point, Mr. Ross telegraphed, ask the boy if he remembers his father's or uncle's name, his brothers or sisters, and whether he ever lived near a railroad. After this, Mr. Ross left the telegraph office where he had been. From Mr. Jonathan Neff, the man who has the boy, We, after much effort and by arts known only to the newspaper man, gathered the following facts. Shortly after the boy Ross was lost, I noticed that a man named Snyder, who lived in the hills two miles from my home, had a boy of four or five years of age, with light curly hair and in every way very much resembling the missing Charlie Ross. He had never been there before, though Snyder claimed that he had been with him for four years. I told Mr. Ross about him last summer, but Mr. Ross thought it could not be him. Last summer, the old man Snyder died, and as my son insisted on it that the boy was Charlie, I at once made up my mind to get him, and now I have him. Young Snyder came to my house last night and claimed that he would take the boy by force, not claiming that he was his brother, however, but my son said he would keep him with his life. The boy has light hair, is just the right age for Charlie Ross, and says that he and his brothers were taken by two men in a city where the cars run without a whistle that the men gave them candy and let his brother out, but carried him a long, long way to a house where he slept that night, that he was then passed from one place to another, and that hot irons had been used to curl his hair the wrong way and thus make it straight. The boy is cowed down and frightened, but has confidence in Mr. Neff, and evidently has told him things which make him certain that he is the right boy, and that Mr. Neff will not tell until he sees his father. Mr. Neff has hid him away and will not let him be seen by anyone. To corroborate his story, Mr. J. Q. A. McConkie says that it is certain that Charlie crossed the Susquehanna into York County at Peach Bottom just after he was lost. 
It's almost certain that Mr. Neff has Charlie Ross, and we can hardly believe that the hearts which have so longed for his recovery are again doomed to disappointment. We shall publish the sequel to this in the dispatch tomorrow. So I guess this has been the days when you can just make a wild accusation and then you go take someone's kid. Wow. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so um, what is a little bit hard to figure out from that article is that the little boy is living with his brother, who is a little bit older than him, who has been hired out to different families because the family is quite poor. His mother is in the alms house already, and his bro- older brother and sister have been hired out as indentured servants, which sometimes happens if kids go to poor houses at that point, you can just basically take them as your slaves and take them in. Mm. And so he's living nearby and had taken on the responsibility for several siblings, including his little brother, Charlie. Now, they were with a family that only spoke German. Yeah, that's correct. In some of the articles I read, and I can't remember if we'll read that distinctly, but as a background, if this doesn't come up, they said that everyone in the family spoke German and little English, and Charlie spoke English and little German. Hmm. Some of that could be just because, you know, kids that grow up in other countries do pick up the language quite easily. And so if the others were in a more insular community, which, you know, a lot of people spoke just German in the 1870s in this county. So it wouldn't be hard to live an entirely German-speaking-centric life in this area. Oh, yeah. But a bright little kid could certainly be bilingual. Right. But they took this as evidence of his not really being real. Now, there was a McConkie mansion down in Peach Bottom, by the way. Oh, well, has to be... Well, how many McConkies in Peach Bottom are there? (laughs) Um, But the Peach Bottom Railroad is what came up into this part of the county. It came from... It was the Baltimore Peach Bottom Railroad. It came from... Baltimore down through Peach Bottom and then up into this part of the county. This Neff could have lived, they say he lives a mile from the... Two miles from the Peach Bottom Railroad. Could have been further south, could have been in town, I don't know you know, exactly where, but that makes sense because the the train station in town, that would have been the Peach Bottom Railroad. So not only is there excitement over the potential that this is Charlie Ross, but this is this is selling some newspapers. Oh, I bet so. I bet... uh, I mean, this is running like a serial... You know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I bet it was quite the, the stir around here, you know, at the time. This is the sort of one of the next articles on our local Charlie Ross from the York Dispatch, April 30th, 1877. Still confident. Traces of Charlie Ross. A cloudy, lowering morning, 45 minutes past six, and we are aboard the Peach Bottom train. The fussy little engine snorts and puffs, and we are away over long reaches of country, abounding with water and willows. Hills rise in the distance, forming a dark background to light green fields of grain already giving promise of an abundant harvest. At Dallastown. A run of six miles, and we are at Dallastown, a post village of York County. At the station, we find Neff's Mills and a son of Jonathan Neff, the man who thinks he has Charlie Ross. He informs us that his brother is waiting for Mr. Ross, who is expected on any train. At the road, we reach the young man, and he salutes us as Mr. Ross holds out his hand for a shake. We are sorry to inform him that we are not that person, and his countenance falls. However, he offers to conduct us to his father's house at a distance of a mile and a half where the boy was. And we travel along through muddy roads and over hills until we reach a farmhouse whose surroundings show prosperity and plenty. At Jonathan Neff's, here we are introduced into a pleasant room with a glowing fire and an aged lady in an easy chair and two younger ladies. Mr. Neff, the elder, completes the group. The party appears a little suspicious at first, but at last the whole story comes out freely, what Mr. Neff says. About three years ago, or a little less than that, said Mr. Neff, the elder, the attention of my son was called to a boy of about four years of age residing with a family named Snyder, latecomers in this neighborhood. <laughs> I want to add a little thing here because you said that this in this county, if people don't know your grandparents' grandparents, they don't consider you from being, quote, around here. And Mm -hmm. this is so much the case. I think part of this is that these people weren't from around here. Even though they were German, they hadn't been here for as long as this person had ever remembered, so they were new, and they're therefore very suspicious. So these latecomers in the neighborhood, by the by, a neighborhood that extends five miles in every direction. He had light-colored hair, beautiful curls, and what was singular Although the rest of the family spoke German almost entirely, with only a little broken English, the boy spoke only English and no German. My son had his suspicions awakened, watched the child closely, and found that he was under restraint and that he was watched to keep him from communicating with neighbors. This settled the matter in our minds, and last summer, when I went to the Centennial, 
I saw Mr. Ross, but for various reasons, the matter was dropped without taking decisive steps. Sometime since Mr. Snyder died, the family was broken up, and the old lady, Mrs. Snyder, went to the poorhouse. I also have to tell you that this old lady was, you know, in her 40s. (laughs) (laughs) My son then determined on getting the boy and made tempting offers for him, but in vain. The irony of that is a little too much to bear. Did he try candy and fireworks? In the meantime, he learned from Mr. Seacrest, the man who moved the Snyder family into the neighborhood of Red Lion about four years ago, that at the time the boy was positively not with them. Last Thursday, my son went to the residence of John Snyder at Red Lion and finding only the two girls of the Snyder family at home, obtained of them permission to take the boy, whose clothing was a mass of rags and filth. He at once removed him to his own home and bought him new clothing, after which he questioned him, obtaining the following information in addition to that already given. This is what Charlie says. I was taken away from the city where I used to live and where the cars run with horses. I rode a long, long way that night. The next day I was given to a boy with hair on his chin, who took me a long way along a river which we crossed over in a box, evidently a canoe. And the boy then took me to Mr. Snyder's house, and I never saw him but once afterward when he came to see me. Before that, my name was Charlie Ross. The Snyder family have told that they took Charlie from the poorhouse to raise, but they cannot tell what poorhouse. And this is what Charlie McConkie, Esquire, says. Mr. McConkie states that the boy he saw at Peach Bottom was followed to Baltimore, where it was ascertained that he was not the missing Charlie. But on returning, they met detectives who had followed the lost boy as far as the Conowingo Bridge and the Susquehanna, where they lost their trail. This is what I refer to as the scary bridge, is it not? The Conowingo? Uh, no, that's the that, Normanwood. Yeah, Conowingo would be just uh, south in Maryland. Oh, okay. Where the dam is. Okay. This supports the boy's story of traveling along the river and crossing over. A German who has been acquainted with the Snyder family for many years states that Snyder had a sister living in the city on the same street with Mr. Ross, which fact is another link in the chain. Definitely curious. The reputed Charlie Ross is a pleasant-faced boy of seven or eight, dark eyes, light hair, and rather intelligent. He's well-contented in his new home, and yesterday, Sunday, he was visited by nearly a hundred persons. All the people who live in the vicinity of Mr. Neff are convinced that he is the bona fide Charlie Ross. The other side of the question, at Red Lion. While the writer was working up this case at Dallastown, the senior editor of this paper continued on to Red Lion, the residence of the Snyders. At this station, an opposite opinion prevailed. No one believed the boy to be the missing Charlie, and some even stated that they have known the child for five years. Dr. Heisen, a very intelligent gentleman who attended the boy through the measles two years ago, said that he is convinced that he is not Charlie Ross, and all who live there are of one mind as to that. Lydia Taylor, a farmer's daughter at Dallastown, says she met the youngest Snyder daughter at Peeling's Hotel on George Street last summer. The girl at that time was very much incensed against her mother, with whom she had quarreled, and speaking of the boy said, He says he's Charlie Ross, and if mother isn't careful, I'll tell someone. Oh. She's got some, like, some Nelly vibes, right? Yeah, that's this is interesting. Very... That's interesting. The boy has scars on his breast and abdomen, which it supposedly tally with those of the young Charlie Ross. The Snyder boy appears to be alarmed and keeps out of the way, although he has previously made threats to have Mr. Neff arrested and had even been to his house to try to take the boy. I guess this is in regard to his Charlie's real older brother. Right. Because basically people came and took his brother away. Right. Mr. Neff has just received a letter and gone to Philadelphia. In the meantime, Snyder has taken out a writ of habeas corpus, and we shall give further revelations. The conversation held by Telegraph last week with Mr. Ross's brother, and not with the father of Charles, as the first supposed. There are scars upon the body of this child which correspond with those said to be on Charlie Ross, and the more Mr. Neff examines into the matter, the more he is convinced that he has the veritable lost child. The excitability of young Snyder and his efforts to obtain the boy by a writ of habeas corpus and additional interest as well as suspicions about the matter. If the boy is not Charlie Ross, then there are at least strange circumstances about the case which will bear investigation. And as the boy is well taken care of and in good hands, the anxiety of the reputed brother of the child to obtain possession of him is in itself a singular fact. The very latest, Charlie Ross is en route for Philadelphia. We have at 3 p.m. just returned from our second visit to Dallastown and escaping the writ which one of our York lawyers procured. The reputed Charlie Ross is now on his way to Philadelphia and Germantown. The matter was arranged very neatly. There has been fear that the child would be taken to avoid this and prevent suspicion. Mr. Neff the Elder this morning came to York and took the cars for Philadelphia. While at 10 a.m., Mr. William Neff took the boy in a carriage, drove off, crossed the Susquehanna, and met his father at a point on the Pennsylvania Railroad where the parties met and went on. In order that the readers of the dispatch may know the result, 
One of the reporters of this paper at once followed after the boy and will see Mr. Ross tonight. He will telegraph us tomorrow morning. Throughout York and the county, the excitement is most intense, and everywhere knots of people who feel certain that this is the right boy may be seen discussing the matter. We do not feel at all assured that this is indeed the long-missing child. But should it be, the news which the dispatch was the first to make known, (laughs) and the particulars of which we have followed up with as much painstaking energy and persistence as ever displayed by the foremost city papers, will send a thrill of joy to thousands of hearts. Detective Powell is following the parties, but can make no arrests. Tomorrow will tell all. This This is very exciting. Yeah, this must have been big news, like... I mean, for people who don't live around here, this is just like, in the 1870s around here, this is like an exceptionally rural area with not, it, there's not a lot going on now. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Was, this was this exciting been, now to read. It must yeah. have been incredibly exciting at the time. I'm really concerned for this little boy for numerous reasons, least of which is whether he's Charlie Ross or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he seems to be being passed around with uh, l- little regard. Yeah, you don't. Well, now you can't just make a wild accusation and then just go take someone's child, presumably. So a trial ensues, and the mother of Charlie Ross, or we'll call him Charles Snyder because he's living with the Snyder family, the mother, the brother, and the sister of Charles Snyder all testify that he is their brother or their son. The mother keeps trying to tell people that it's written down in the book. It's written down in the book. And so you know, it's very common around here for people to have these huge family Bibles. Yeah. And so they go looking for the family Bible. And because things are, and this is very common, we find family Bibles all the time. Things are crossed out. People don't have the dates right. Yeah. People make their best guess or their recollection. Oh, was she born on the 4th or was it the 5th? You know, like even my dad said he wasn't entirely sure which day he was born on. So it wouldn't be uncommon. To, and to use that against a mother. Yeah. So the transcript of what transpired during the trial, you can tell this is a person grappling with a, a huge language barrier Mm -hmm. just trying to give the best that she can but she's also she doesn't really have too much of a leg to stand on because she's in the almshouse her children are all indentured to other people right a very poor woman doesn't have a lot of rights right someone can just take their child from them so this is the latest article this is may 16th so two weeks have passed since the last we've heard of charlie ross in the meantime we've gone through the trial the, the little mini trial because of the writ of habeas corpus The latest. The child is not Charlie Ross. Mr. Ross and party have returned from Red Lion, and after an examination of the boy are satisfied that the boy is not Charlie Ross. Mrs. Ross thought she would recognize the boy and looked very carefully at and talked with him, but is satisfied he is not Charlie. The boy was not communicative and could be got to say little or nothing. The eyes are a little darker than Charlie's, the forehead does not resemble him, and the hair does not curl in the same manner. In some few futures, there are resemblances, but upon the whole, after a most careful consideration, it must be said that the end of this case is that the York Charlie Ross, like so many others, is another case of mistaken identity. We are sorry for the sake of the parents that this clue did not turn out better, and while again disappointed, we trust that this time, that the time is not far distant, when the long-lost boy will again gladden, by his presence, the home now darkened by this heavy cloud. They don't speak so much to the darkness that was thrown on the Snyder family. <laughs> right, right. Um, so York's Charlie Ross, let's say, Charlie Snyder, a little bit of a local celebrity, though. Yeah, to the point where I started reading ads in the paper. So you could go downtown to where all the local photographers were, and you could get six CDVs, carts to visit of York's Charlie Ross, because he was such a, such like a, a little local celebrity. Hit in the paper. We need those. Yeah, we do. The other thing that I saw, because, you know, genealogy is sort of in my family's blood and my dad's, our family tree is like, has got like 70,000 people. And basically anytime we find anything about anybody in this county, they're already in the tree in some far-flung relations. So I did find this family in, in, our, in my family tree. I'm not very closely related, but like fourth cousins, fourth removed kind which, of thing. Which to, family? The Snyder? To the Snyder family. And so a lot of the pertinent information was already in the family tree about them. So uh, the mother who goes by, I think it's Louisa Snyder. She actually has a quite a, a longer German name, like Frederica, Louisa, Charlotte. Mm-hmm. But her father's name is Charles, Charles H. Snyder, which is the same name as little Charlie. Right. And to me, that was like, when I read that, I was like, well, of course it's her little boy. You know, mm-hmm. well, she might not have been able to take care of him. We don't really know what the circumstances were. Maybe after the father died, like she just didn't have the ability to take care of the kids, and that's how she ended up in the almshouse. We don't know what her mental health state was. 
I did find some articles in the paper where Charles's older brother, the one that takes care of him, was trying to free himself from the indenture to one of the local farmers that was beyond his control when he was put into the almshouse as a child. Right. He's trying to free himself from that and in the meantime, take care of his family. It so bothers me that just because these people were immigrants and poor that they were just everybody thought well it would be better for him to live with someone who could give him a good set of clothes than his own family let's take their son yeah Yeah. later on york's charlie ross you found some evidence of him living elsewhere as, as an adult in the 50s, there's an article about a boy who was the long-lost Charlie. You know how they, in a lot of newspapers, they'll say, 50 years ago today, and they'll bring up right, whatever yeah. was the hot story just to fill up some space. So yeah, sometime in uh, maybe the 40s, I found an article about a man with the last name Peters who lived in East Prospect, which is not that far away from the area we're talking about, and that when he was a child, he claimed to be the lost Charlie Ross. But then they talk quickly about how he had gaps in his memory and he wasn't like qu- quite with it mentally. Oh. And so I I don't know if this is the kind of thing where as people aged that he just became like, well, maybe I'm the lost Charlie Ross. <laughs> <laughs> or was I mean, was this even Charlie Snyder under a different name or is this yet another person? In your- I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Okay. I couldn't conclusively figure it out. I, 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 I want to continue this and figure out what happened to Charlie Snyder. I think it's possible. I just didn't have enough time before this. And my suspicion is because people don't really leave here mm-hmm. he's probably buried like within a mile of here yeah. <laughs> yes like yeah. he's well, well we'll find him we'll find him he's probably not not buried too far from here we'll if, find if, he, him. if he stayed in town we'll give an update and maybe we can talk a little bit more about the heavy merchandising involved in charlie ross the real charlie ross in an attempt to find him So I guess that leaves us with, if this isn't Charlie Ross, and the 18 other Charlie Rosses are not Charlie Ross, what happened to Charlie Ross? Yes. Do we have any clue at all what might have happened to him? Well, at some point, the ransom letters just stopped. They don't know if there was uh, a reason, like maybe Charlie wasn't alive anymore. There was did no... they continue after the guys died, or did they stop before those no, guys there died? Was like, no, it was all within the first kind of steps of uh, trying okay. to find so Charlie. Be- before these guys are shot at the robbery, the, the ransom notes stopped. Yeah, so they're kind of a family of shady characters. And William Moser, who's the one with the, the nose that's um, very distinguishable, there have been hints that, he, that William was the guilty one because his brother, Gil, who was another kind of shady character, had heard them talking about potentially trying to kidnap a more famous, wealthy family's child. And so it made sense to him that this might have been what his brother was into. Years later, he says that what happened to Charlie was that he was taken to live with relatives who owned a small cafe in New York City. Mm -hmm. And after they realized that they could no longer really have any attempt of realistically getting the money, they killed him and buried him in the walls of the basement. And that in 1881, bones of a small child in this area were found. I would assume that that would be something that would make the papers even in New York City, right? right? So I look all through 1881, bones found, skeleton found, child's bones found, like looking anything. I mean, it even gives the address and I can't find anything. Hmm. So I don't know if that was, an, I mean, these are shady characters. I don't know if that has any merit or not. Another kind of like far-flung lead is that I was following somebody. If you're doing research online, sometimes you can find similar people that are looking for things. And this was someone who, with the last name of one of the people involved in the kidnapping, and he was look. it was clear he was cutting articles with people from that last name, not because of this crime, but because there was, there was a family connection. But he was also clipping articles from someone with the same last name as one of the servants within Charlie's house. Oh, interesting. Which reminded me of the Lindbergh case because there was some suggestion that maybe the servants were in on it. Right. And while I feel like some of that is, again, sort of pointing the finger towards people who are poorer, there might be some... Yeah, who knows? So we don't really know what happened to Charlie. He remains lost, unfortunately. Yes, he remains lost. But in an odd way, like so many of these things, becomes kind of an urban legend that takes on its own life. People are the lost Charlie Ross. I feel like this is the playbook for the Cecil Britton kidnapping, for the Charles Lindbergh kidnapping. 
I would also like to say, too, and this is a very important part, when people say this was the first kidnapping of a, a child in the United States, that negates the whole of slavery. And I'd like to acknowledge that there was a right. lot of kidnapping going on that well, it didn't involve little blonde-haired white boys. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Don't take candy from strangers. Don't take candy from strangers. Milk carton kids. Stranger danger. All this kind of comes from Charlie Ralts in a way. This is kind of the beginning of all that. Yeah, it's one of the horrible stories in the American experience. Right. But ever so interesting. And that strange familiar's twist really kind of hit it home. Yeah, that, I was like, <laughs> it's like, okay, you win. <laughs> <laughs> I give up. They're right. The war of attrition is over. I'm waving the white flag. There's some, like, 99th level synchronicity going here. At the very least, if we find out this kid lifted this house. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will uh, revisit the story if we get any new information. Yeah, this is one I don't know that I'll be able to put down. I'm already thinking again about how Jenny Beam and wanting to revisit that. I mean, we talked about a little bit of that on the patron episode, but it's like some of those things just can't let go. Yeah. Well, he becomes another one of these sort of characters in the canon of Strange Familiars. And yeah. if other people want to pursue this, as we always say, please share whatever you find. I think everyone involved in this is deceased, but... This you- is the thing, though. In this area, there is no way that if there's someone listening that they're not related to this okay. family. <laughs> I have every faith that someone I know who's a cousin of somebody else will come up to me and say, Oh, we were related to the Snyder family, and I heard a version of this story. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely think that that's going to happen. So I'm going to make a call out to all of our local Strange Familiars listeners, just if they know anything about that. or Yeah, well, we'd love to know more. The Lost Charlie Roth. Lost but not forgotten. Let's say you had a puppy and it was mouthing and biting on things and mm-hmm. you needed help. Where would you go? I'd call Tina at 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. Fear and nervousness, barking, chewing on furniture, shoes or other things they shouldn't be chewing on, crate training, hyperactivity issues, leash training, and much more. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you. Whatever problem you're having, they can help you and your puppy work it out together. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. They've got that relationship-based approach. Helps you and your puppy become perfect for each other. They have online sources, video lessons, a secret Facebook group. One-on-one options are available. If you need help, 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you. Look for them at sithappens.us. There's a 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. They'll help you understand how your dog thinks and apply proactive training methods so you and your puppy can become perfect for each other. Again, it's 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. You can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. So really staying on theme tonight. Yeah, this doesn't happen that often because usually you're like, pick a photo for photo of the week. And I'm like, I don't have any photos of ghosts and aliens and Bigfoot. It's just like, (laughs) it's fundamentally not going to happen. So this is the photo. Of one of the various Charlie Rosses. Well, it's the one that started off the story for me. Mm -hmm. This is what I saw. This is the lost Charlie Ross. A wreck on the Galt, Preston, and Hespier Electric Railway, Canada. This is from the early 1900s, this postcard. So... You get to see one of the train cars. It doesn't look particularly wrecked. This guy's holding some rye whiskey, I believe. <laughs> He's got one... Must be breakfast time. One boot on and one... Piece of cloth draped over a foot in yeah. lieu of a shoe. <laughs> yeah, foot wrapped in, in cloth there. He's Breakfast of champions. I think he's your sort of uh, typical railway hobo. But they're calling him the Lost Charlie Ross. And I think they meant it in the way of those workmen in that article. I don't mm-hmm. I don't think they meant that this is the actual Charlie mm-hmm. Ross. I think they're calling him like... Like hey, a Johnny come lately yeah, or something yeah, like he's that. A, he's a Lost Charlie Ross. I'll put the image in the show notes. If you click on that, it'll take you to our Etsy shop. We can purchase this or other photos of the week. You can own the card that started it all. Also in our Etsy shop, it's shop name Lost Grave. But if you type in Strange Familiars, we'll come up. There's copies of all my books. All the books are in stock now. Any of my books you get from us at our Etsy shop, they come signed. And you can get my art book there, which you can't get on Amazon. 
apparitions, illustrations of the other. So if you like my artwork, and I hope you do, you can get that there. All kinds of stuff in our Etsy shop. Other photos, we've got artwork and Strange Familiars t-shirts and more. Again, it's Etsy shop name Lost Grave. While you're on Etsy, make sure to check out our friends at Karmic Garden for their Flannel Man and Strange Familiars scented soaps hand sanitizers, and more. Check out Chad's shop, the Ruck Rabbit Outdoor Shop as well, and sign copies of my books and some prints, and other things are also available from Riverbend Comics, riverbendcomics.com. We did a patron episode for March. It was an update on the Broken Circle, the Jenny Beam case, and then we paired it with a Flannel Man story. Really, really interesting Flannel Man story involving Barbara's dreams of dead relatives and stuff that kind of led up to this sort of sleep paralysis experience where she sees a shadow person holding this like infinity mirror that looked like it went went back forever mm-hmm. but he turned it around and it's it's got buffalo plaid on the back of it the mirror itself yeah did. yeah oh wow yeah really really interesting and she has some theories and then has a this really intense encounter with a cardinal, which is red and black, like afterwards that flew into her window that she kind of nursed back to health and stuff, with, you know, all in the same period. So it's a really neat story. That's on Patreon. You got to be a patron to hear it. You can get over 65 patron shows as soon as you sign up. And we're adding new ones all the time. Patreon's the best way to support us. Patreon.com slash strange familiars. All different kinds of tiers of support there. Check it out. Again, it's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Another way you can help us if you don't like a subscription service like Patreon, you want to make a one-time donation, there's a paypal.me link in the show notes under every episode. You can click that and make a one-time donation. That's a huge help as well. And we want to thank Anik M for the donation this week. Thank you so much. It's a huge help. Very nice note as well about Allison along with the donation. So thank you. I want to send it back with just a, Tim insulates me from any kind of commentary, usually good or bad, because I can't handle it. <laughs> and so uh, sometimes I'll let slip something nice that people have to say. So I want to say thank you if people say something nice. <laughs> it, was, it was very nice. Very kind comment. We've got some more stuff upcoming next week's episode. I think it'll be next week's episode. You'll hear Chad and I on site as we go to Devil's Hole. We'll hear about Devil's Hole we use the spirit box there. I didn't get real friendly replies to that. And we talk again with Brother Richard because we want to talk a little bit about spirit contact. So stay tuned for that next week. We'll be back soon with more episodes of Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Hollow Arts. Music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Intro and background music is by Stone Breath. Go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com if you want to hear more. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars group. And we are on Instagram, at strangefamiliars. You can always find us at strangefamiliars.com.
upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.